0: Welcome to the First and foremost Sports Podcast. This is episode 53. I am your host, Jimmy Covington, and I'm joined by my brother.
1: What's going on, everybody? I'm Quentin Douglas. Happy to be back.
0: We finally back after a three-week hiatus. Uh, Had some personal things going on, but I am back, ready to go. and uh, I'm excited to be back on the show. Quentin, how you been?
1: Man, I've been pretty good, Jimmy. How about you, bro?
0: I can't even complain, man. I'm doing pretty good watching a lot of playoff basketball, so it's, a, it's always good.
1: Man, look, you know, as you know, I think for both of us, it's pretty much our favorite time of year, so I can't wait to chop it up and talk about what's been going on.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we can go ahead and get started here. Might as well. Got, a, got some things on the, on the cusp for y'all today. So first, we're going to talk about the Clippers versus Jazz series so far. So, Quinn, I'll let you go ahead and get started.
1: I appreciate that, Jimmy. And, man, you know, this Clippers Jazz Series, uh, you know, for one, the Clippers, you know, for one, they've been about, uh, I guess, really at both ends of the spectrum. You know, one night they look like a team. You're like, man, what are the Clippers doing out there? And then, you know, the last two games – They're like a full-on, you know, championship favorite to host the trophy at the end of the year. But, you know, with the news coming out today, that's going to be very, very difficult to do uh, because now you have Kawhi Leonard, who's hurt and likely out for the remainder of the playoff series. Uh, And, you know, even before he went out, you know, the Jazz, they were already without Mike Conley. And, you know, you definitely can't understate especially in the last two games that they've lost, just how much they missed his presence out there on the floor, especially from a leadership aspect and, you know, his ability to create for others and get easier looks on offense. And, you know, that that definitely takes a lot of pressure off Donovan Mitchell uh, because outside of him, you know, pretty much everybody on the Jazz, you'd be comfortable guarding a one-on-one Uh But, you know, Kawhi Leonard, outside of Kevin Durant, and probably depending on your preferences, um, he's been arguably the best player in the playoffs up to this point. And, you know, like I said, I can't state just how big of a blow this is for the Clippers. And I think this pretty much all but evaporates their championship hopes. Uh, You know, hopefully, you know, if anything, I feel like the Clippers, if any team, they're prepared to play without Kawhi. You know, given his low management situation and how he approaches the regular season. But, you know, me and you both know pretty well the playoffs is a whole different animal. And the more horses you have out there, the better. And not having that number one guy to go to, especially in these close games that we've seen between the Clippers and the Jazz. uh, You know, like I said, it's going to be real tough to replace Kawhi.
0: Definitely, I actually I had the Clippers in six before Kawhi went out, but after that, I'm definitely got to go with the Jazz now. Um, Kawhi Leonard, like you said, has been arguably the best player in the playoffs this year, uh, doing doing what Kawhi has done the last several playoff appearances, averaging about thirty points, eight rebounds, shooting about fifty percent from the field, over forty percent from three. Uh, the man has been a monster, and for him to be out, that's that's a fate. I think that's a fatal blow. Uh, to the Clippers' championships hopes this year, uh, we've seen what he's been able to do, and uh, like you, you mentioned uh, the Clippers are to me are one of the most frustrating teams to watch because I get nervous uh, as a fan of the Clippers. I get nervous when they start off hot because that's like I almost at some point it's like you kind of know they're going to give up the lead, or when they start off very slow because it seems like they they'll get back in when they start off slow. So I, I don't Clippers are a little they're a little too inconsistent for me, uh, but i tell you what, Ty Lue, when they're down 0-2, Talu learns how he makes some great adjustments, and they come out like gangbusters. So we're, we're going to see uh, tonight what they're going to do without Kawhi Leonard. But that's that's basically you know, 28, 29 points that's just out of the lineup. So everybody has to step it up a notch. Nice. Paul George has to, has to replace what Kawhi is doing. Somebody has to replace what Paul George did. And then somebody has to replace what Reggie Jackson did. Marcus Morris has to step up. Ibiza Zubak has to step up. Terrence Mann – Uh, Rajon Rondo, all of those guys, Luke Kinnar, all of those guys have to step up. And Nick Batum as well, who's played amazing. All of those guys got to step it up a notch, but I don't think it's going to be enough uh, to beat the Utah Jazz without Kawhi Leonard. Uh, And I've seen reports earlier, and I'm sure you did too, it's been feared to possibly be a torn ACL. So hopefully, you know, that's not the case. Uh, But one guy I got to mention on the opposite side is Donovan Mitchell, who's been a baller. Uh, averaging 37 points, four rebounds, four assists. He's been giving out buckets left and right, no matter who's guarding him, whether it's Kawhi or PG or Nick Batum or Marcus Morris. He's been getting it, giving everybody buckets. And that's part of the reason why it's tied to two because of him. If it wasn't for his heroics, uh, this series might be 3 1 or it might be over altogether if it wasn't for Donovan Mitchell.
1: Yeah, man, I'm right with you. You made a lot of good points. Uh, Donovan Mitchell. Look, he is that dude. I, I don't know what doubts anybody had about him before, if there were any doubts about him to begin with. But, you know, those doubts got to all be gone away now because, you know, at this point, there is no argument that he's a certified superstar. And, yes, I said superstar. Uh, You know, just what he does offensively for that team uh, and carrying the load for them. And, you know, like I said, especially without Mike Conley, he's had to take on an, an like a increasingly bulk of the responsibility, especially when it comes to playmaking. Because, uh, you know, Joe Ingles and guys can run the point, but, you know, it's nothing like having somebody who's more dynamic, uh, who can penetrate a defense. And like I said, Mike Conley, the way he can playmake, it makes things easier. Uh, For his teammates, you know, things like timing on passes uh, and chemistry on lives, like all that stuff matters. And it's definitely magnified in the playoffs. Uh, But to go back to Kawhi Leonard it's definitely, definitely going to take a team effort to replace what he did for them. Just to talk about how good Kawhi has been this playoffs. Get this. He's made 66 percent of his non paint two pointers this year. Again, that's non paint two-pointers. He's made 66%. He's had five games this playoffs where he's gone for 25 points on 65% shooting. And that's only been done four other times in history. Shaq did it twice. Kevin McHale did it. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did it. And he had six games in the postseason. Uh, So, like I said... Kawhi, he was playing out of his mind. I really hate to see him go down with the injury. And, you know, it's even worse, the way the injury happened. You know, I really don't get what he was doing on that play, trying to initiate that contact. Uh, But, you know, as soon as I saw his knee plant the way it did, like you could just automatically see that, you know, something wasn't right. And uh,
0: Like I said, you, you, you mentioned the injury. Uh, and that's uh, it's very unfortunate because injuries have been a, a huge part of the playoffs this year. And I think uh, I saw something earlier. I think LeBron mentioned it, and I saw it earlier by A.L. Duncan on Twitter. She mentioned that nine all-stars have missed games in the playoffs, which is the most ever. And you mentioned missing games, and we go on move on to this next series here with the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. Kyrie Irving and James Harden, those guys have both missed time. Kyrie Irving missed last game. And he's already been ruled out for game six tonight. And James Harden uh, played for the first time since game one yesterday and was a shell of himself. So, Quinn, what are your thoughts on this Nets versus Bucks series so far?
1: Yeah, man. See, this is another series. It's been real hard to gauge. And, you know, that's all been because of health. You know, first Kyrie Irving, or really, it started game one. James Harden, not even a full minute in, goes out with the hamstring injury. Uh, and then, you know, what was that game? Uh, four, you got Kyrie Irving going down, unfortunately, with the sprained ankle. Uh, so, I mean, like you said, James Harden basically played out there with one league, which was pretty impressive because he actually played 46 minutes. Like Kevin Durant, who I'm going to get to in a second, Kevin Durant gets all his flowers from last night. But, you know, it's really overshadowing the fact that James Harden on one leg. I mean basically in the span of like 12 hours he was at first doubtful I believe if not out. Then he went to questionable and then before we knew it it's like oh James Harden's in the starting five tonight. Uh but you know for his 46 minutes, you know the box score wasn't the most attractive. He only shot 1 for 10, had 5 points, but you know again Having a point guard, somebody who can conduct the offense, get people in their spots, uh, you know, just make things easier for people on offense. And that's what James Harden basically did last night. And, you know, his teammates gave him credit for that. And I'm really glad they did because I definitely think he deserved it. Uh, But to go to the next man, man, Kevin Durant last night, I, I have to say that was probably his best performance of his career up to this point. I mean, this dude finished with 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists. And then he got you three steals and two blocks, just in case, you know, that wasn't enough. Uh, but that was the first 45, 15 and 10 game and playoff history. And I didn't even mention he shot 70% from the field. I think in the fourth quarter, uh, KD had nine contested shots, and he made six. I mean, literally, I mean, you put a hand in his face, you put whoever on him, it really don't matter. All the Bucks basically can do, just like Giannis said, you just hope he misses because there's nothing you can do with him. We even saw Giannis, who's supposedly two-time NBA MVP, who's 6'11 with about a 7'6 wingspan. Even he couldn't do anything with Kevin Durant. So, I mean, look, as you really, no words can describe his offensive game and just how, how much of an offensive mismatch he is. And you have to remember, too, he's coming off a torn Achilles. So, like I said, you know, last night, that performance he had was one for the ages, one that will definitely go down in the books. And I think, in my opinion, it only cemented that he's he's probably the best player in the game right now.
0: I think this series has cemented everything that's wrong with the Bucks, pretty much. And the Nets have played; they have played well. Kevin Durant's been amazing. He's averaging thirty, almost thirty-four points, eleven rebounds, almost six assists, two steals, and nearly one and a half blocks per game. And Giannis is doing Giannis things, almost thirty-one points and twelve rebounds. But the Bucks refusing to take advantage of side of this size mismatch is. It's been one of the most crucial things that have happened in this in this series. If you talk about yesterday, they had a 17 point lead and they ended up losing the game. Uh, that shouldn't have happened. I watched Drew Holiday take James Harden right to the cup. The very next play possession, he shot a three. You know, I saw late in the game Kevin Durant was guarding Brook Lopez. Brook Lopez is about 260, uh, and he was just wasn't commanding the ball at all. Uh, even at the end of the game, Giannis had James Harden on him, who's playing, like you mentioned, is playing on one leg, and he shot a turnaround fadeaway. And we all know Giannis can't shoot. So it's just things like that. We he ain't He's got like, no business. <laughs> like, like Charles Broccoli mentioned last night, he, he said he thought the Nets, uh, excuse me, the Bucks were going to win the championship, but they were the dumbest team, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with him. But, you know what I'm saying, you got to give credit where credit is due. And then, like I said, the Nets have, came, have showed up uh, – even with Kyrie and James Harden both missing time. Like I said, Kevin Durant's been a monster. Like you mentioned, 49 points, 17 boards, 10 assists, 3 steals, 2 blocks. Played all 48 minutes. That's, I can honestly say that's the best performance playoff performance I've seen in my lifetime. And I, I mean, we've watched Kobe, we've watched LeBron, we've watched Tracy McGrady. We've seen all, all kind of all-time great players, all-time great scorers, and that's the best playoff game by an individual that I've ever seen. Uh, hands down. And honestly, tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised if Brooklyn manages to beat Milwaukee tomorrow when they play tomorrow. And shout out to Jeff Green as well, who showed up big time last night. Man, he had, uh, what did he
1: shoot, like seven points. threes?
0: Yeah, he, shot, he scored over 20 points last night too. So shout out to Jeff Green. He also was a major contributor.
1: Yeah, man. You know, to piggyback on what you said, I definitely think that what we've seen so far in this Nets and Bucks series... It's definitely more so an indictment on not only Giannis Antetokounmpo, but I think even more so on Mike Budenholzer. Uh, You know, you got the best, or he's not the best. Let me not say that, because he's definitely not. So you got the two-time MVP on your team. Like I said, I've already given out his measurements, and he's supposedly one of the best defenders in the world, but... You got Money Time and Kevin Durant, who's just been lighting it up all night. And you got Giannis Antetokounmpo on Joe Harris. Joe Harris. Anybody who knows knows that Joe Harris is basically a statue who stands out at the three-point line waiting for a pass so he can then shoot. That's what you have arguably your best defender on the floor doing on the defensive end of the floor. And I think that's just an indictment on Mike Budenholzer, who I think very well could be coaching himself out of a job at the end of the year.
0: You know how I feel about Giannis and Defensive Player of the Year awards. Honestly, I don't don't think he – I'm not surprised because I don't think he's built like that. I don't think he's built like the true superstars of the game who guys like Kawhi Leonard, I've seen Kevin Durant do it. You know, we've seen LeBron do it, take the challenge. Of guarding the opposing team's best player. He doesn't have to do it all game, uh, but, you know, f- come fourth quarter, you know what I'm saying? It's like he doesn't want any part of it. Even last year we saw it in the playoffs against the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler was cooking, and they asked him why wasn't he guarding him. He said, why would I guard Jimmy Butler? And it's just stuff that, – that kind of stuff right there is what really gets me. Like I said, he's a two-time defensive player of the year. It was just first team – just announced first team all defense uh, the other day. And I just don't understand. I don't understand why he's not guarding them. I don't. I wouldn't care what my coach had to say. If I'm the defensive player of the year and I have the athleticism to guard somebody like Kevin Durant, I'm going to guard him because right? he's been lighting them up.
1: And then you want to come out. This is Giannis, by the way. But you want to come out after game five in a seven-game series and say you want to take on the challenge of guarding Kevin Durant. I don't know about you, but that sounds a little bit too late to me, Giannis. I mean, I I don't know what he's doing. I mean, is he demanding? Like, is he even demanding in the huddles? Is he leading the team? Like, I don't know. But even if Mike Budenholzer is saying for him not to guard Katie, like Giannis, even like you know, you're out on the court, you pretty much got free will. Like he has to step up and be the guy to say, all right. Enough of this. But, you know, we just haven't seen it. But that transitions us to our last series to talk about so far in this second round of the 2021 NBA playoffs, which is the Philadelphia 76ers and the Atlanta Hawks. So, Jimmy, what have you seen so far in this series? What are some of your takeaways?
0: Honestly, I feel like Philly should be up 3-1. They should have won their last game. They held the Hawks to 42 percent shooting in the paint, five of 13 from mid range, and they had them 30 percent from the from the three point line. They were 12 of 40 from the three point line in Game Four. Uh, Joel Embiid was was terrible. He was 0 of 12 in the second half. That's the most misses you've got to make in the last 25 years in one half of basketball. And Ben Simmons, uh, the max guy, didn't even attempt a shot in the fourth quarter. And just another thing with Joel Embiid, only one of his 20 shots came from inside the restricted area. And so far, this series, he's 22 of 63 from outside the restricted area. Joel Embiid is 7 feet, 280 pounds, and probably has some of the best footwork in basketball. And he's shooting 35% from outside the painted area. That's entirely too many shots from outside the painted area. He's averaging 31 points and 13 rebounds per game this series. Like, why are you not in the paint more? I mean, I understand Clint Capella is a great defender, but he's not that great to where you're not – you shouldn't be attacking the paint. You should be relentlessly attacking the paint. He's a great free throw shooter. He shoots 84% from the line. So why wouldn't you welcome some easy free throw shots? Like, I I don't understand. And, I mean, they're doing a good job on Trey Young. I mean, he's still averaging 27 points and 12, 12 assists, but he's only shooting – Forty-two percent from the field and thirty-one percent from three. Well, guys like that, you can't stop them. Uh, you can only make it harder for them to score. Uh, but you know, shout out to Atlanta—they're fighting, uh, which they did against New York. They played well. They're fighting. They're not giving up, and uh, they're making like they made this a series.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. This definitely been a good series to watch. You know, like you said, whether or not which team wins, pretty much has depended on the health of Joel Embiid, and you know. Pretty much, now with this being the best of three series, that's going to really hinge on who wins it or not. Uh, Because there's no doubt, we all agree, Joel Embiid, at least when healthy, is undisputably the best player in this series. But, I mean, game four, he got outplayed by Clint Capella just straight up. Uh, And, I mean, that was a terrible, terrible second half for Joel Embiid. You know, you mentioned going 0 for 12 the most shot attempts in a half in the last 25 years without a make. I mean, for one, nights like that just don't happen every night. So I definitely don't expect that from Embiid. But, you know, it definitely does. It makes me question just how much that partially torn meniscus is actually hampering him. Uh, Because out of his shot attempts, you know, he only attempted like one or two shots from the restricted area. And one of those happened to be the layup he missed with, like, 10 seconds left in the game. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of that definitely, you know, for one, you have to give credit to Clint Capella. You know, he's definitely not a scrub on defense. Uh, and then, two, like I said, the injury. And he's just taking way too many jump shots, like you said. Uh, you know, even in the paint, like I said, only one or two shots in the restricted area. But you got multiple shots in the paint where you're just pulling up, I, and like I don't know if he's afraid to be aggressive on that knee or what. But anytime you're as big as Joel and B, there's no reason that you should have more jump shot attempts than Trey Young, and you have fewer shot attempts. Like that's just baffling to me. And Trey Young is only six foot one. I just like, know-
0: I, I just don't. I don't understand. I don't comprehend. I don't understand it. It doesn't really make sense to me. But I mean, years past, Joel Embiid has been known to shoot entirely too many jump shots, and I don't. And I don't think that's. I don't think that's changed at all. To be honest with you. And you um, know what? Like, like I said, For all- he, with Joel Embiid on the floor, they're twenty-five points better per per one hundred possessions than they are without him. And I think the key is when he's off the floor, uh, with when he's off the floor with Tobias Harris and Shake Milton on the court. Uh, they're averaging about one hundred thirty points per one hundred possessions, which is which is lethal. So they they're gonna have to find a way to get it done when he's not on the court.
1: Yeah, man, those are a lot of good points. And you know, for as much as we we all Joel and B, I think equally, if not more, responsibility falls on Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, man, the last or at least that last game, first half, he went. He had eight points, eleven rebounds, eight assists and the 76ers were a plus 15 with him on the floor. Second half, get this, three points. He only had one field goal attempt, one rebound, two assists, and basically wiped out his whole first half impact because second half he was minus 15. I just don't get how you're 6'11", 240, 250, one of the, you know, he's he's fast, especially for his size, uh, I don't get how you're not at least attempting more shots in the paint, given like you said, you know, they got there's a real distinct size advantage at least, um, and I know you do ask him to do a lot on defensive end of the floor, uh, especially guarding Trey Young on some possession, but you know, if Philadelphia is gonna win this series, he's gonna have to be some kind of threat on the offensive end of the floor. And I mean, if he's not even going to look for a shot, he's he's got to at least penetrate the defense, get guys easier looks, you know, get Seth Curry going, get Tobias Harris going, get Shake Milton going. Because, uh, like I said, in B right now, man, if that second half was any indication of what these these next two or three games are going to look like, I just don't have much confidence in Philadelphia.
0: Like I said, they should be up 3-1 right now, but they're not. So they're in a dog fight, and they, they better win tonight is what they, they need to do to get it done.
1: Yeah, and I think if they're going to win tonight, it's it's going to be done at the defensive end of the floor. And I think I'm expecting it might be a pretty low-scoring game. Because even with Embiid, for his, as bad as he was second half offensively last game, you know, his defense was still relatively strong, so... You know he's not just completely ineffective while he's out there.
0: No, like I mentioned earlier, the defense has still been strong. It's just I, they sh- they should be up three one right now. It shouldn't be two two. They should have won their last game. I don't know how he missed that layup at the very end. I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah.
1: or oh, I said they even. I say they even should have won game one. Uh, more so than game four. But yeah, I'm right with you, bro. But I don't, especially the 76ers, they're hands down the best home team in the NBA. And with this being a best of three series, I just see it being really, really difficult for them to lose twice at home. But hey, all they got to do is lose once, really.
0: (laughs) That's true. That's true.
1: But hey, our last topic of the day, uh, we want to talk about the all NBA selections that came out first, second, and third team. So, Jimmy, highlight the NBA selections and tell us who you think got left off.
0: Well, I figure we can pretty much go back and forth with this since I think we pretty much, we're probably going to share the same sentiments about who should be on what team. Uh, but for all NBA first team, uh, Stephen Curry. Uh, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. I don't, for me, I don't have any any problems with their first team. What about you?
1: I agree with you. and I think this is the first time in a minute I've actually completely agreed with the first team.
0: That's the facts. Uh, me too. Me as well. But for the second team, they have Chris Paul. This is where I have a little bit of an issue, and that's going to tie into third team as well. I've a so lot of issues. For the second team, they have Chris Paul. Yeah, they have Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, LeBron James, Julius Randle, and Joel Embiid. Uh, what about you? What what, what, all what what problems do you have with the second team? My
1: second team. Uh, first off, I I really get this whole narrative behind Chris Paul. Don't get me wrong, I'm a big Chris Paul fan. He's already cemented himself as worst at worst a top five point guard of all time, but. This narrative that he's just his franchise savior uh, has really, really started to wear on me. And now, unfortunately, it's flooded over to accolades at the end of the year. And this is, like I don't know, it's criminal. Like, especially the way Devin Booker's being treated. Because the dude is averaging like 26 a game. I mean, he's really... Really, it's Devin Booker who carries the offensive load for them night in and night out. Uh And don't even get me started on him being snubbed from the all-star team. Like, that was just ridiculous. Uh I really don't get the mistreatment of Devin Booker in the league. Uh But there's no doubt in my mind that I would have put him on the second team over Chris Paul. And my second issue actually comes with Julius Randle. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd put Julius Randle on the third team, but I would have gave that other second-team spot to Jason Tatum. I don't get how you get a guy who's averaging 26, 7 rebounds, 4 assists. He's shooting 45% from the field, 38% from 3. And all he did this year was have multiple 50-point games And if you don't recall, he had a 62-point game, which was only uh, tied for the second-highest total score in the NBA game this year. And, you know, I get it. The Celtics as a team, they were highly inconsistent all year. And I don't think that falls on Jason Tatum's shoulder. Uh, And I think he elevated himself to that superstar status as well. But for him to be completely left off an all-NBA team, that's just ridiculous to me, man.
0: Uh, for me, my problem with the second team, I would have had, I would have replaced Chris Paul with Bradley Beal, who him and Russell Westbrook basically willed uh, the Washington Wizards to the playoffs after being one of the worst teams before the All-Star break. So I definitely uh, would have had Brad Beal on my second team. That was my only problem with the second team. Yeah, and
1: see, I'm glad Brad Bill finally made it, because what was it, two years in a row, the last two years, uh, he would actually be the guy to get the most votes, but just be right there on the cusp of getting in. And now that he's finally gotten in, and didn't get placed high enough, you got Russell Westbrook, who's only averaging, you know, 22-point triple-double, night in, night out. And he got completely left off, too. Uh, So, and he was... He was actually the guy to get the most votes to be left off this year. So that honor went to a Wizards player three years in a row. But so you agree that Julius Randle was second team?
0: Yeah, I do. do. All
1: right. I give you that. Like I said, I just, I took Jason Tatum over. But Julius Randle, he definitely balled out this year. And he's definitely worthy of an All-NBA selection. Uh, so, I guess last but not least, the third team, which once again, I had some issues here too, but you got Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Rudy Gobert, Jimmy Butler, and Paul George. So, I'm going to let you go first, actually, on this one. What were your issues with the third team?
0: So, like I said, I moved Chris – I would have moved Chris Paul to the third team. I would taking Kyrie Irving out. So, honestly – I think Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker and Jason Tatum, I would have all put them on my third team. So, no Kyrie Irving, no Chris Paul for me, and actually no Jimmy Butler for me. But I did have I have one I had one other issue. Uh, Paul George technically plays the two. I know he alternates, you know, pretty, but he primarily plays the two with Kawhi Leonard being the small forward and Marcus Morris being a power forward. So, I technically classify Paul George as a guard, but since they put him as a forward, and you know, I, would, I would replace Jimmy Butler with Jason Tatum, who had a much better season uh, on the worst team. And I would have put, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Devin Butler ahead of uh, Kyrie Irving and Chris Paul. So I had the majority of my issues came with the third team selections. Yep,
1: yeah, mine did too. Uh, like you said, Bradley Beal, definitely, he was definitely worthy of being elevated. I don't think third team was suited for him. Uh, first off, my issue, Kyrie Irving. You mentioned better options already. Uh, You got Devin Booker, who should have been on there. Donovan Mitchell definitely, definitely should have been on the all-NBA team. I mean, I don't know how you got the two best players on the two best teams in the Western Conference who were left off all three NBA teams. Like, it's just so puzzling to me. Like, all this time, I thought winning mattered. And now, especially for a guy like Devin Booker, it's like that's just all went out the window, and even for Kyrie's situation with that guard spot, I would have taken Russell Westbrook. I even would have taken Trey Young. I would have picked Trey Young over over Kyrie Irving. I think Trey Young, especially with the way the Hawks turned around their season and the noise they're making right now, he definitely should have been a third team selection. And You know, I'm glad you highlighted the fact that Paul George was put in as a forward and not a guard because I still have an issue with the fact that these NBA teams, why are we still labeling players in certain positions? Like, I feel the best reflection of the league nowadays is to have positionless teams uh, or positionless all NBA teams at least. So we get a true, true indicator of who the top players are in the league because I think it's sad that Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum are missing out on $33 million bonuses just because guys like Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, and Chris Paul were selected over them. I just think that's criminal. But like you said, Jason Tatum definitely was a worthy selection over both Paul George and Jimmy Butler. And I even would have put Kevin Durant in over Jimmy Butler if that was the case because Jimmy Butler missed some time. And with the heat this year, yes, he's the best player, but we both know Jimmy Butler doesn't really carry the offensive load for that team night in and night out. And when I think of all NBA teams, those are the kind of players I think of. And Jimmy Butler and Chris Paul, they, they just shouldn't be on any of these lists.
0: Oh, yeah, and like like I mentioned, I don't like the like you mentioned, I don't like the, the positions either because there's no way a Rudy Gobert should be in all defenses, uh, an all NBA team, excuse me, and Donovan Mitchell's not. Like, we both know who the catalyst is for their team.
1: Right, and even with Rudy Gobert, don't get me wrong, good player, but I mean, Bam out of bio, Clint Capella. Clint Capella had a really, really good year. Uh, even Sabonis, DeMontis Sabonis from the Pacers. The Pacers had a horrible year, but some, Sabonis balled out this year.
0: Oh, Definitely. He's definitely underrated, but there's not enough spots. You know, we always talk about snubs year in and year out, Uh, but, I mean, it's kind of like who are you going to replace, and there's just simply not enough. There's too many great players to, to select Uh, for 15 spots. So it's always right. a tough year in and year out.
1: Right. It definitely speaks to just the amount of talent that's out there in the league. Uh, Because like I said, you got Kevin Durant, who's not even on any of these lists. I mean, the the snub list, some people could probably go on and on all day about a list of people who are left off. Uh, But, you know, it's real unfortunately, especially for like players in these small markets, just to get, uh, you know, constantly left off these lists. Like for a guy like a Devin Booker.
0: Oh yeah, but uh, I I do think you know with these all uh, defensive teams and all NBA teams, uh, I think the all this defensive teams, I think it's a lot easier uh, to to make selections with because you know in a league that's increasingly uh, headed towards more offense and more scoring, uh, there are guys that stand out as defenders, and we saw that with these with this the selection list uh, for first team. You have Ben Simmons, Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Draymond Green, and Rudy Gobert, and so, Quentin, what are your thoughts on all defensive first team? Because I have one issue with the list, the first team.
1: Huh? Well, first team, I think I actually agree uh, with the entire first team. Like I said, Ben Ben is probably the best perimeter defender in the game right now. Uh, of course, Gobert, what he does as far as protecting the rim. You know, for him to be three time Defensive Player of the Year, he couldn't be left off. Uh, Draymond Green, he was my Defensive Player of the Year pick, but you know, unfortunately, that didn't happen. But what he does for the Warriors, he can guard. You know, a multitude of positions. And Giannis Antetokounmpo, I probably say, which he was actually the only unanimous pick, I believe. Oh, now that was for All NBA First Team, but uh, like I said, I didn't really have any disagreements with the first team.
0: I would have replaced Giannis with Bam Adebayo. I mean, we've seen Giannis has won two defensive player of the year awards, uh, but yet he routinely uh, doesn't take the opposing team's best wing player in big, in big games as we saw last night. So I've seen Bam do it more often than I've seen Giannis do it. So for that, for that alone, I have to put Bam over Giannis for first team.
1: Well, you know what? And, you know, I know we criticize players for not taking on uh, the assignment of the best player. But to be honest, I mean, if you look around the league, bro, like really nobody's doing that now. Like that's really a trend that's been going on in the league for a minute now, especially for, uh, you know, teams who have these elite players who not only carry a lot on the defensive end, but also on offense. Uh, and just finding ways to reserve them for the clutch moments later in the game, uh, and I think that's why we're seeing this trend. Like for instance, the Philadelphia series, they're putting Danny Green most of the time on Trae Young. Uh, like I just, I just think it's a pretty, pretty uh, concerning trend that's going around the league right now. And I, just me personally as a fan, I want to see you know your so-called best defender line up against the best offensive player every possession. But, you know, I do get the element of saving players' legs for late in the fourth quarter. But even then, like I said earlier, I mean, they had Giannis on Joe Harris. So, I mean, there's no excuse for that.
0: <laughs> I mean, my issue with Giannis is Giannis doesn't have the responsibility of a LeBron or a Kawhi or guys like that that constantly initiate the offense. He's basic, He basically plays the center position. That's what he does. He brings the ball to the court sometimes, but for the most part, he gets the ball on the wing and does a half-back dive to get to the cup. Like, he doesn't really – he has offensive responsibility, but it's not like he's constantly initiating offense. He pretty much just runs and dunks and catches lobs and stuff like that. So, in terms of offensive load, like I said, he doesn't do what – like I said, those guys that I mentioned, James Harden, Steph Curry, a lot of others, he doesn't get his points like that, so – him, like I said, him not taking the challenge. I, I got. I have more of an issue with him not taking the challenge on the end. And then he's also, like I said, he's a two-time defensive player of the year. So.
1: Yeah, man. I just felt, especially, you know, last night, game five and a seven-game series, especially tied 2-2, to game five has been shown in history to be the biggest game of the series. And, you know, this is really the point in the series where, Whatever aces you got up your sleeve, you pull them out. And I think we saw last night the Bucs don't have an ace.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think I did, I will say, oh, as we transition to second team, I had less of the issue with second team for sure. I think, you know, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, Matisse, Thibel, uh, Bam, and Joel, like I mentioned, I, I would switch Giannis. And bam! But other than that, I didn't have any issue with the other four selections on second
1: team. Nah, I I didn't have any either. I really I really didn't have any issues with the all uh, defensive selection. Uh, and I guess I, as a fan, as a fan, I would have liked to see Dylan Brooks make second team, but I knew that wasn't happening.
0: <laughs> I heard, now I did hear some issues about uh, Lebron and Kawhi saying Lebron had a better defensive rating. Uh but I don't when it comes to defense I don't care about defensive rating because only two players on all defensive team finished in the top 10 of defensive ratings. So. Yeah that
1: that whole that whole defensive rating thing is that, definitely misleading cuz I think that wow. same statistic that same statistic where you're talking about LeBron's at the top, Kyle Kuzma's like top 10. <laughs> So uh, we we okay. both know that that ain't
0: <laughs> Kyle Kuzma, Kuzma ain't this, And Kawhi Leonard is the only player in the league to average at least 22 points and 1.6 steals per game. So that goes to show you that he's getting it done on both ends. And the one guy I do want to highlight is Matisse Steibel, who I'm sure a lot of fans don't know. Uh, he averaged 1.6 steals, 1.1 blocks per game. He was fourth in deflections. Uh Matisse Thybul is the first player in NBA history to record at least 100 steals and 70 blocks in under 1300 minutes. He only played 20 minutes a game and he was top top 10 in steals, uh top 25 in blocks he was fourth in deflections. Matisse Thybul is a defensive monster and Philly has, you know, three players on all defensive team. So, it goes to show you their defense is one of the best in the league all year long. And, you know, their defensive selections were a reflection of that.
1: I imagine this a lot of Philadelphia 76ers practices where they probably end where Ben Simmons or either Matisse Steibel gotta make so many shots, or maybe they not because it's not showing on the court.
0: <laughs> it's really not, but you know they both they both need to be locked I, in the right gym now, somewhere. I think best case scenario for Philly is Matisse Steibel develops a more consistent three point jump shot. Because I mean, you don't really need him to create offense. You got right. Ben Simmons. You got Ben Simmons. You got Tobias Harris, so you can go get a bucket. And you got Joel Embiid, so you don't really need him to create offense. I would, I would much rather see him just develop a consistent three point shot, more consistent. Man, three-point
1: shot. I mean, literally, if you're gonna be a lead defender, you can't ask for much more than to at least be a spot up corner three point shooter. <laughs> you got to bring something on, some kind of threat on offense, like Ben. At least, you know, he can't shoot. But whenever he wants to, whenever that is, <laughs> he can pretty much get to the cup at will, sir. So.
0: And that's that's my that's my biggest my biggest frustration with this. is that right there. Like you can get to the cup pretty much any anytime you want. You six ten. One of the most athletic guys in the league got a solid handle, can pass the ball with the best of them, and just aren't easy. At times, he seems disinterested in in scoring the basketball.
1: Yeah, and you know, for some reason, I've just, like, I get it. Ben Simmons, definitely a great defender. I respect his game. But I was just never on that full-on hype train of all this LeBron 2.0 and all this other stuff. Because I don't know. He just doesn't have that it factor to me. I don't
0: think he does either offensively. But that's another topic for another show.
1: For sure. All right, man, we go on another hour about that. To... <laughs> well, man, do you have anything else you want to add? Um,
0: just thank y'all for supporting. Uh, we're back. We'll be. Cons- we're going to be consistent again. Of course, like I said, I have some personal things going on, uh, but we're back. Glad to be back.
1: Right, definitely glad to be back again. We are sorry for that hiatus. But like Jimmy said, we're gonna be back delivering you content every week again. Just another reminder, feel free to go follow us on our social media pages. We have our Twitter page. It's at first underscore foremost eight. We also we have our Instagram page, which which is, excuse me, uh is it first and underscore, first underscore and underscore foremost sports. That's right, I believe. I had I was trying to get Instagram loaded. Here it is. First and foremost, underscore sports. My bad. And then we also we have our Facebook group, just first and foremost sports podcast. And again, you can find us on pretty much any podcast platform where we're available. And most importantly, it's free. So, again, I'm Quentin Douglas.
0: And I'm Jimmy Covington.
1: All right, appreciate y'all, deuces.
0: All right, we're out of here.